two portions of two chapters out of Jeremiah. Uh, the first one is Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 15 to 21. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not in view of your patience take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exalt because of your hand upon me. I sat alone. For you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain become perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you, and I will deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. And now chapter 20, verses 7 to 18. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. For I have heard the whisperings of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, Perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed. With an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Yet, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have set forth my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. But let the man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting, and let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon, 
because he did not kill me before birth, so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We read that it's with Jeremiah that he ate your word and it became to him a joy and, and a great delight to his heart. And Father, we ask and pray that you will make the word of God a joy and delight to us too. And we ask that you will be with Tom this morning, that your Holy Spirit will speak through him and guide him and lead him as he delivers your word to us and that we might receive your word in obedience and faith and that we might learn to love you and to follow you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Those who claim to be speaking on behalf of God in any age end up taking one of two approaches uh, to the Word of God. They either embrace it or they replace it. You might say that some never even give any thought to God's Word at all, so you can't really say they're replacing it, but I guarantee you, if if they ignore it, if they neglect it, if they turn away from it, they replace it. They're putting something else where the Word of God belongs. This morning we're, we're going to consider some of the most forceful declarations in the book of Jeremiah regarding both of those types of proclaimers. Those who embrace God's Word and those who replace God's Word. And we'll see what happens to each of those groups. And, and what happens is dramatically different for the two groups. We'll start with those who replace God's Word. Throughout this book, the counterpoint to Jeremiah, God's faithful prophet, is pretty much everybody else who claims to be speaking for God in Judah. There are only two good prophets mentioned other than Jeremiah in this book, and that's Micah and Uriah, and they both came before Jeremiah's day. Now, I'm not saying that Jeremiah was the only one not bowing the knee to Baal or the only one faithful to God. But among those who called themselves the mouthpieces of God, he was pretty much it on the right side. In chapter 14, Jeremiah says of all the false prophets that they were telling Judah the exact opposite of what God had said. They said peace, peace, when there was no peace. And the reason that there was no peace is because God's people were in rank rebellion against Him. And they refused to humble themselves to hear His Word and to respond to His Word with obedience. The first several verses of Jeremiah chapter 15 tell us exactly what God did say about Judah's peace through His faithful prophet Jeremiah. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from My presence and let them go. And it shall be that when they say to you, where should we go? You shall tell them, thus says Yahweh, those destined for death to death, those destined for the sword to the sword, those destined for famine to famine, and those destined to captivity to captivity. Even if Moses and Samuel stood before Me 
There would be no way for the people of Judah to avoid the judgment that was about to come. The prophets of Judah, however, claiming to be speaking the very words of God, said, one example, uh, Jeremiah 14, 13, they said to Judah, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I, Yahweh, will give you lasting peace. In this place, lasting peace in this place. In other words, you'll get to stay. In the verse right after that one, 14.14, God says that those false prophets were declaring, quote, the deception of their own minds. In chapter 23, verse 16, He says they speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of Yahweh. See, these guys were literally, they were literally just making this stuff up and calling it the Word of the living God. A few verses after that one I just read in chapter 23, this is 23 verses 21 and 22, God said, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. He's saying they were in a hurry to speak on my behalf that which I had not said. And listen to this, but if they had stood in my counsel, They would have announced my words to my people. And I would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. In verses 25 to 28 of chapter 23, God says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream. I had a dream. And he says, is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name with their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. He's saying, these prophets, they're they're reaching into their own imaginations and they're They're getting excited about the dreams that they have at night and they're relating those and calling them God's Word. And why are they doing it? So that the people will forget the name of God. So that they'll forget the character and the ways of the One who actually called them out to be a people for His own possession. And then he says, the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream. This is great. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Is there any question here about what data source a legit prophet was supposed to use? Not his dreams. Not his imagination, but the word that God had set before him and called him to proclaim to to his people. And then he says, what does straw have in common with grain? Declares Yahweh. God says the difference between the dreams of these prophets and the word of God was like the difference between straw and grain. The word straw used here refers to the stalk of the same plant which on top yields wheat. The stalks of the wheat plant are useful for certain things like bedding for barnyard animals. But they're not good for much else. You know why people don't eat straw? Because they can't digest it. 
We'd die of malnutrition if we went on the straw diet. That might be just enough to kick it off. Get people on board. The dreams and the imaginings and the deceptions of Judah's prophets were useless to nourish the souls of God's people. They were as useless as straw would be to nourish their bodies. But God's Word, God's Word was their grain. It was their food. Just like God said in Deuteronomy 8, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But the people of Judah loved the straw and they despised the grain. So that's what the prophets fed them. They fed them straw. And all the while, the souls of Judah were starving to death. It wasn't enough that the prophets proclaimed fabrications and lies. They proclaimed them in the name of Yahweh. They said God told them to say these things. They declared that they were speaking on His authority. In the last part of chapter 23, there's a section where the word oracle occurs eight times in eight verses. Check it out. It's pretty amazing. The people of Judah were asking the prophets and they were asking each other, what is the oracle of Yahweh? In other words, what... Please tell us what God has to say to us. (laughs) But the only answers that they accepted to that request were the ones that didn't come from God. Anything else they'd pay attention to, but not the words, the oracle of the living God. Isn't it great that people don't do that anymore? (laughs) Beloved men and women who are boldly proclaiming to be speaking on behalf of the God of the Bible, seem to have no trouble filling churches and stadiums with people and selling millions of books to people eager to hear what they have to say. But the content of what they are proclaiming comes from their own imaginations, from their own dreams, from the deception of their own minds and hearts, from anything except the Word of God. If you guys haven't yet seen the documentary that was done last year called American Gospel, you ought to be, there ought to be a waiting list to check it out from our library. Ron has it available on DVD. American Gospel, Christ Alone. Millions of people in this country and all over the world are buying into promises of well-being from God that don't come from God. And they're pouring money into the pockets of people who are preaching anti-biblical garbage. What was the outcome for the prophets of deception in Jeremiah's day? Well, they had the approval of men. See, when you tell people what they want to hear, things go really well with people. But but what if they figure out that you've been lying to them? What if you tell them that great things are going to happen and those things don't happen? And in fact, bad things happen. Well, what was supposed to happen to the prophets in Jeremiah's day when they when they did such? Deuteronomy 18 says, When a prophet speaks presumptuously in the name of God that which God has not said, and therefore the thing which he said would happen doesn't happen, Israel was to take him outside the camp and summarily stone him to death. A prophet in Israel 
had to bat a thousand. He had to bat a thousand. There were no exceptions. If he said God declared something would happen and it didn't happen, Israel was to stone him to death without hesitation. So what did the Israelites do when their prophets told them that God promised good things were going to happen and those things didn't happen? How many false prophets did Israel stone to death? Have fun looking for one in the Bible. How many true prophets did Israel persecute and kill? Stephen in Acts chapter 7, minutes before they stoned him to death for preaching the true word of God, said this, to the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. As long as their false prophets kept promising good things, the people were amazingly quick to forget when they got it wrong. See, there's a, there's a very high level of job security for telling people what they want to hear. Even if you mess up, just keep telling them what they want to hear. You'll keep your job. But how valuable is the approval of men when you are opposed by the living God? Throughout this book, God assures Jeremiah that he will indeed deal very harshly with those who have spoken falsely in his name, along with all who in Judah have uncritically embraced what they declared. In Jeremiah 14, verses 15 and 16, God says that He'll see to it that the men who keep saying there will be no sword or famine in this land will meet their end by sword and famine, along with the people who bought into their lies. So that's what happens to those who replace God's Word. They get the approval of men, endlessly, and they have the opposition of God. And that opposition doesn't necessarily manifest itself right away, but when it comes, it comes. And it sweeps them away. So what happens to those who embrace God's Word and proclaim it? On the other side of all the prophesying that was going on in Jeremiah's day was Jeremiah. In chapter 15, verse 16, we see Jeremiah's approach to God's Word. It's just beautiful. He said to to the Lord, he said, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Yahweh, God of armies. Jeremiah devoured God's words. They were his true food. They were his joy and they were his delight. They were his, they told him his identity. He knew whose he was because of the word of God. He didn't just take God's words into himself and find them delightful to his soul. He didn't merely embrace God's word. He faithfully proclaimed every single word that God gave him to proclaim to Judah. So what did Jeremiah get for embracing and proclaiming the true word of God? He got fierce opposition from men. In fact, the opposition that he got from men was so fierce, it was so relentless, 
that if you read the Lamentations of Jeremiah, even in the book of Jeremiah, not just in the book of Lamentations, you'll see that there were several points in his ministry at which Jeremiah struggled mightily with the appearance that he had been abandoned by God. Those two things go hand in hand in Jeremiah's Lamentations. The fierce opposition of men and the appearance that he had been abandoned by God. It appeared to him as if God had turned his face away from him, as if God had thrown him to the wolves. Jeremiah 15, verses 17 and 18, he says, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone. I sat alone. And then he said, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? And listen, he said to God, will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Wow. Because of God's claim on his life, Jeremiah sat alone, apart from the merriment of the masses. The pain that he suffered at the hands of others was it was perpetual. It was relentless. He didn't get a break. There was a time when God let Elijah go aside for a while. Relax. Not Jeremiah. He suffered relentless hardship precisely because God's hand was on him, because he spoke for God. And many times that hardship led him to question God's goodness toward him. To wonder if God was deceiving him and could not be trusted. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7-10. through O Lord, You have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Later at the end of that chapter, he says, cursed be the day that I was born. We need to notice that the Bible doesn't put a mask on the struggles of faithful men. It doesn't paint a picture of servants of God who never wrestle with doubt or fear or discouragement. And it doesn't hesitate to set those struggles right in front of us for all the ages of God's people to behold. Throughout God's dealings with men, it is not people with flawless faith and unflinching resolve that He uses to accomplish powerful and eternal things. It's people who struggle the same way you and I do. But don't miss the fact that it is through just such people that God indeed accomplishes powerful and eternal things. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But beloved, it's treasure. And it changes the hearts of men and women and children for all eternity. Notice what Jeremiah says in verse 8. I'll read it again. He says, Each time I speak, I cry aloud and I proclaim violence and destruction. He's saying the reason he had become a laughingstock, the reason everyone was mocking him and he was suffering derision constantly was because every time he spoke on God's behalf, he was proclaiming violence and destruction. 
Every time he spoke as God's prophet, he was proclaiming judgment from the hand of God. You know why? Because that's what God told him to proclaim. Earlier I read part of chapter 23 where the people were throwing, throwing around the phrase, the oracle of God. God said that the prophets of Judah were proclaiming lies and deceptions and dreams. And then he said, but if they had stood in my counsel, if those prophets had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. That pattern's pretty consistent with those whom God called to be His spokesman on earth in biblical times. Which of the true prophets and apostles ever promised comfortable lives to God's people here and now? Even to those who were submitting to God and walking with God. In this book, in Jeremiah, even when God promises to bless and protect the few in Judah who would actually humble themselves under His hand of judgment and go willingly into captivity to Babylon and pray for Babylon, His promise of blessing to those people was not a promise of comfortable lives. Not by a long shot. He promised to provide for them and protect them in the midst of the great hardship of being ripped away from their, from their homes and their, and their nation and carried away to a place where nobody spoke their language and nobody knew the true God. But see, the problem is that the promise of that kind of protection and provision from God, the promise that God actually made to Judah, wasn't what the Judahites by and large wanted to hear any more than it is what many in the church today want to hear. The prophets of Judah knew that very well. And friends, so do the prophets of prosperity today. If someone claims to be speaking for God and they're promising pleasant, comfortable things from the hand of God, this side of glory, red flags should be flying all over the place. Because that's not what God calls his spokesman to proclaim this side of glory. Hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one hope for what he sees? But if we, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Romans 8. Hope that is seen is not hope. God does not ever say to us, you know what? Your best days are going to be now. He never says that. Anyone who claims to be giving you God's seven steps or four steps or ten steps to a Christian nation or stress-free existence or bulletproof marriage or well-behaved kids or success in business or financial independence, what a horrible phrase, is not speaking for God. Because God hasn't made any of those promises. God has promised to those who follow Christ that they will suffer. We will suffer as Christ did. If we are children, then we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Romans eight seventeen. And here's something um, that's very, very predictable, guys. 
People don't like it when you tell them that God has no intention of making their lives smooth and comfortable now. They don't like it. The next verses in Jeremiah chapter 20 uh, reveal the very heart of the Judahites toward Jeremiah because of his faithful proclamation of God's word. Jeremiah says, For I have heard the whispering of many. They say terror on every side. That, they're mocking Jeremiah's own words from earlier in the chapter. He said terror is coming on every side. They say terror on every side. And then here's what they say. They say denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. And Jeremiah says, all my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps, perhaps he will be deceived. Jeremiah, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. Brothers and sisters, if you have never found yourself wrestling with the appearance that God has thrown you to the wolves because you're faithfully proclaiming His Word, maybe it's because you're not faithfully proclaiming His Word. Moses wrestled with those doubts. Elijah wrestled with those doubts. Jeremiah wrestled with those doubts. For Jesus, they weren't doubts. Jesus knew before He ever took on our humanness that His Father would indeed hand Him over to the wolves in sheep's clothing to be mocked and spat upon and tortured and crucified in our place. And that was not because God was faithless. It was precisely because God is faithful. In every place on earth at every time in history, those who do faithfully proclaim God's Word suffer for doing so. Not a little, but a lot. When we are proclaiming God's Word as truth, and we find ourselves treated the same way men have always treated those who proclaim God's Word as truth, there'll be times when we struggle with thoughts that He has asked too much of us or that He's not taking care of us the way He should. And His call to us in those times will be the same as His call to Jeremiah in chapter 15, verses 19-21. to Listen carefully. Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return, then I will restore you. Before Me you will stand, and if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become My spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you. But as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and although they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares Yahweh. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. This is amazing. Even Jeremiah was called by God to repent. To turn back. You know what God never does when we lament? He's amazingly forbearing. He is amazingly forbearing. But you know what He never does? He never sympathizes. The way we think of sympathy. He never pats us on the back and says, it's okay, I understand why you have called me unfaithful. He never does that. He says, turn back. Turn your face back toward me. 
See what I have declared. Stop living according to your perceptions and your sight and how things appear to you and start living on the authority and the ground of My Word. Turn back. Trust God's character and God's Word more than we trust our own senses and our own perception and our own logic. I said once a while back something about logic, about the, the, the deceptiveness of our logic, and a dear brother here challenged me to, to clarify, and I want to clarify. Logic is a beautiful, marvelous gift from God, but you know, when logic is divorced from the revelation of God, it's trash. When we take the logic that God gave us and we try to engage it and arrive at good conclusions while we ignore God's revelation, the revelation of the, cre- of the Creator to the creature, our logic falls apart and breaks down. And the heart, which is more deceptive than all else, and is desperately sick and cannot be understood, that's what takes over. There's a DVD about the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and you know what it's called? It's called Logic on Fire. That's what happens when logic is submitted to revelation. It catches fire. And things make sense like they've never made sense before. Because God created our minds to be submitted to His Word. To do God's assignment, Jeremiah could not live based on how things look. He had to live based on what God said. The Apostle Paul calls that walking by faith and not by sight. You and I will never faithfully proclaim God's Word if we walk any way other than by faith and not by sight. If we live and we think and we speak to others based on how things look, we will be sidelined from the work of advancing the kingdom of God on earth. God promised Jeremiah that if he would turn back to him, trusting his word more than he trusted his own senses, God would restore him. He would make Jeremiah stand before him and be his spokesman, his mouthpiece in the world. He would make Jeremiah like a fortified wall of bronze right in the middle of God's battles. That reminds me of David in Psalm 23 saying, the Lord prepares before me a table in the presence of my enemies. He's saying, right in the thick of the field of battle, God has a sit-down dinner with me. That's how protected I am when I'm submitted, when I'm trusting the God of armies. Though the people would surely fight against Jeremiah, they would not prevail against him because God Himself would deliver His faithful servant from the hand of the wicked Friends, that did not mean, it certainly did not mean that Jeremiah would not suffer. When we interpret God's promise of protection as a promise that we will not suffer, we're not paying any attention to Him. Few men suffered as relentlessly or as long as Jeremiah did in his service as a prophet of the Most High God through six rulers over Judah. Beloved, if we take our stand on the Word of God, if we believe His Word more than we believe our own senses, 
And if we act on that faith, proclaiming His Word as truth, we have God's assurance. We have God's assurance that no hand will touch us, no judge will indict us, no person will harm us until and unless God ordains it. And if God ordains it, and He very well may, it will be in order to advance His kingdom on earth through us, not in spite of us. will be in order to use our suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ's honor on earth and in heaven. So if our eyes are fixed on Christ, on His gain, on His kingdom, if that's our priority, we will not see that suffering as abandonment by God, but as faithfulness from God. And when we don't, when we don't see it that way, God says to us, come back. Turn your face back to me. Listen to me. Let me tell you what's true. Let me tell you what's good for you. Because I know what's good for you for all eternity. And I will lavish my grace upon you and I will make you stand before me and I will make you my mouthpiece on earth and I will protect you. 1 Peter 4 verse 14 says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You want that? Beloved, you have it. Don't don't order your life around avoiding persecution and affliction for the sake of proclaiming the truth. Order your life around the expectation that that's how this is going to go. And it is to the glory of God and it is, it is to your amazing advantage as a child of God that you would suffer and participate in, in the death of Christ that you may participate in His resurrection. Whether the suffering we experience falls short of arrest or death or includes both, we know this. We will certainly suffer in this life for the sake of Christ if we're saying what God said. As our dear brother Colin says, there's no place on earth where it's okay to proclaim the gospel. So whenever the world is okay with us as Christians, it's because we're not proclaiming the gospel. What did Jeremiah get for embracing and proclaiming the word of God? He got the approval and protection of Almighty God. He got the opposition of men, severe opposition, to the point that sometimes it looked to him like God had forsaken him. But the reality was that he had the approval and the protection of God and even the forbearance of God. If you and I embrace and proclaim God's Word, we will, like Jeremiah, have God's promise of His approval and protection. (laughs) In chapter 20, verse 11, listen to this. Jeremiah says, But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Isn't that great? Like a dread champion. You want somebody like that on your side? Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. One more thing, uh, another thing that Jeremiah got for embracing and proclaiming the the Word of God is usefulness. Usefulness to God. And we also have the promise of usefulness to God. 
in chapter 1, I'm almost done here, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Lord, Jeremiah says, The Lord stretched out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words into your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Does that sound like usefulness? Chapter 15, verse 19, Thus therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you. Before me you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. We have been given the precious to proclaim to this world. And that's the greatest usefulness that a human being will ever have, is to be bearers of the truth of the living God on earth. It's the best job in the world. Jeremiah spoke for God then, and he still speaks for God now, right? Isn't that what he's doing this morning? The truths that God proclaimed through Jeremiah changed the hearts of men, women, and children then, and they're still changing hearts now. Hopefully even some hearts in this room, including mine. And that change, the change that God brings about in the hearts of that He makes humble before Him, that change lasts forever. If we embrace and proclaim God's Word, even when it looks to us like God has turned His face away from us, we will be His spokesmen in His creation. We'll be agents and image bearers doing exactly what God created and recreated us to do. Our most passionate proclamations about politics or economics or technology or a million other things will be useless to anyone in the new heavens and the new earth. But the word of the Lord abides forever. The last thing I want to mention that Jeremiah got by embracing and proclaiming God's word is the burning desire to speak God's word. There's a beautiful verse that just it just really captured me this week in chapter 20, verse 9. I'm going to read verses 7 to 9 so you'll get it in context of the things we've already seen. O Lord, You have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. And then comes verse 9. Listen. But if I say I will not remember Him or speak anymore in His name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in and I cannot endure. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the one who eats and delights in His Word. He makes it impossible for us to hold it in. The God who is working at, at work in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure is at work in every single child of His to make us proclaimers of His life-giving Word, of the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be very grateful for that gracious work. Loving Father, we are grateful. We look to you. and <laughs> Father, we pray that you would, you would make our hearts burn to proclaim 
your truth. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.